today's scripture reading is from 1 John 5, 1 through 12. Please read with me the verses in bold. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What a rowdy bunch. <laughs> My name is Daniel. I am uh, one of the pastors here. And um, I have, as of uh, last week, I have two children in college. And you may be thinking, uh, there's no way. He looks so young. <clears throat> But I have two in college. Uh, I had a chance to drop off our second one uh, last weekend. Woo! Um, glad to see. And uh, I, I, I love this church. And I, I think I have said on a few occasions, uh, this is the church I would call home even if I was not one of the pastors here. And I mean, I have loved the community that uh, being a part of this church has brought. So thank you for being here. Thank you for making this part of, of your community and your uh, family. And uh, thank you for... Uh, those of you who consider a great Sacramento home, uh, thanks for making this, uh, this happen. Um, would you join me in prayer as we begin? Father, I know I need uh, your words to speak through me. Um, God, I pray, Lord, it would not be my words that we hear, but yours. Father, may you be glorified in our worship today, and may the word of God that has the power to transform hearts, God, may it take effect in our heart today as we listen to your word. And as we hear it, may we not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, we thank you, Lord, that he is the, the reason why we gather here this morning. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have been with us for the last few months, we are nearing the end of our study in the first letter of the Apostle John. 
We have spent the better part of three months in a sermon series that we have called For the Love of God, Community, and the World. And if you are just joining us, we are in 1 John chapter 5. You are here as we reach the end, the last chapter of this short letter. To give you a brief summary, just in case you are here for the first time or the first few times, or just in case you've missed it when we've given, us, given a synopsis of what the book of 1 John is all about. We have been asking and answering the question, how can I be sure whether I am a Christian or not? Or perhaps if you're here this morning and have been pondering how it is that one becomes a Christian, this might be helpful as well. We have mentioned there are three tests that John has given us to assure us that we are on the road that leads to eternal life. And it is these, the theological test, the moral test, and the social test. Do we love Jesus? Do we love, do we love the commands of Jesus? And do we love his people? Now, granted, these are lofty standards, whether you have been a follower of Jesus for many years or just a short time, or perhaps you've come this morning with questions about who Jesus is or who he claimed to be, the tests that the Apostle John writes about seem like an impossible examination to pass. For who out there can confidently say they live without sin, or they follow God's law perfectly, or they love their neighbor without fail? And if God grades on a curve, who is the judge of whether I'm living well or loving well enough? For if we are honest with ourselves, we know that nobody loves perfectly. Or even confident enough to feel good about whether we have passed these three tests. In fact, I would argue the more Christians look at themselves to see whether they are Christians, the more they will become convinced that they are not. Ironic, isn't it? The more we measure ourselves according to these three exams, these three examinations or evaluations of what makes a Christian, right? Do we really love Jesus, and do we heed his commandments, and do we love our neighbor as ourselves? And if we really were honest with ourselves, we would ask those three questions and realize that we fall short. Yes, Christians, when they look at themselves to see whether they are Christian or not, the more they will become convinced that perhaps we fall short. Certainly, this is not and cannot be, if I could argue, the gospel, the good news that we have heard about or read about in the Bible. What we're reading about here is a salvation by works, and certainly we don't believe that. Looking at ourselves, the kind of life we live, and the way we love our neighbor as our assurance, certainly if that was the test, we would fall short. Well, if you are already deflated by the series of questions I'm asking or discouraged about the assessment of how well we have lived or how well we have loved, friends, there's hope. 
Listen to the words of the first verse of chapter 5. I like to give the gospel at the end, but I'm going to give it in the beginning here. John begins this next section by stating, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, there's an interesting word or a term that uh, is used here. It's the term born again. And we've heard that phrase or that term before about Christians, born-again Christians. Again, it's been around a long time. Being called a born-again Christian can mean all sorts of different things to different people. For some, it might mean you are a Bible-thumping fundamentalist. To others, it might be someone who is politically conservative. And yet still others, it might mean that you were converted at a Billy Graham crusade. The term, according to the dictionary, which is, I think, perhaps in our definition, too general and just as unhelpful, is uh, one that uh, secular writers uh, define born again. A person who is characterized by a newfound faith or enthusiasm. Or according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, of relating to or being usually being a uh, usually Christian person who has made a renewed or confirmed commitment of faith, especially after, and I love this, an intense religious experience. The term takes us back, way back, to a conversation that Jesus has with a teacher of the law in the middle of the night. A Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He was a Bible scholar and he comes to ask Jesus questions and he comes to Jesus in the night and asks him, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God, And by the way, I was listening to a radio show this past week, and uh, I heard from a Japanese uh, sushi owner that the word mikuni, I don't know if you ever eat there, but uh, means kingdom of God. Not sure if you knew that. But the kingdom of God, he says, what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. One must be born again. What a strange, strange thought. Even Nicodemus is confused as to what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus admits that he has no idea what Jesus is talking about. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter into their mother's womb a second time to be born. In John chapter 3 verse 4, what is Jesus talking about? He's not referring to an actual physical rebirth. This is not a rebirth and a different life or a life to come. He's not talking about reincarnation, the way we would appear in a, in a different life. Rebirth is not renaissance, not a resurgence, not a revival, not a reawakening. What Jesus means when he says that one must be born again is a term that theologians have said, uh, and again, is, is in Scripture. It's a regeneration, a spiritual rebirth. 
What Jesus means when he says that we are to be born again is that regeneration or rebirth is the sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit's granting spiritual life to each Christian, raising them from the dead, so that. Raising them from the dead, so that they are now able to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. In our church and in our denomination, in our Reformed theology, we call this the, uh, the Ordo Salutis, it's the order of salvation. And we say that regeneration comes first. That God saves you first. It's an act of God that leads us to faith and to repentance. Now listen to the words of 1 Peter. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to the great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, regeneration is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of granting spiritual life to dead sinners. Dead sinners. And the last time I checked, uh, dead people do not and cannot resuscitate themselves. And so again, it's the mercy of God, the regeneration that causes us to be born again to a living hope. Again, it's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit granting spiritual life to dead sinners. This is not a work in which man contributes but is a work of God alone. Speaking of infants, much as an infant, I love infants, receives no credit for being born. Man receives no glory from being regenerated by God because man needs a grace with resurrection power then any willful activity on his own part, including faith itself, cannot be the cause but the effect of the new life. The grace of regeneration is the power of God that grants humans the ability to exercise faith and new inclinations towards God. Not sure how you hear and what you hear in this definition, but my friends, trust me, this is good news. Isn't this what John is telling us? It's God who takes the initiative in the new birth or the work of salvation. Faith being both a gift and the first active sign of new life. Belief is a consequence of our new birth. Let me explain. The reason Jesus' words are so shocking is this. Like babies in the womb, we can do nothing to bring about this new birth. It is not something we initiate, nor is it a cooperative effort between us and God. It is completely His doing, a phenomenon so unnatural it can only be attributed to the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, even in the most well-meaning, uh, even among the most well-meaning Christians today, we can get this miracle backwards. 
We think that the new birth is something that we must do. But that misses the miracle of it all. It also misses the meaning of the metaphor. Birth is something that happens to us. Not something we accomplish. The new birth is the work of the Holy Spirit, not the work of any sinner. Jesus says as much when he tells Nicodemus that one must be born of the Spirit if they are to see the kingdom of God. I mean, you lost the theology here. We, sinners dead in our trespasses and sins, cannot do anything to revive ourselves or to make ourselves any more undead. We need a supernatural act, an act of the Holy Spirit. So in this act of regeneration, the Holy Spirit grants new life, raising us from the dead so that we are now able to repent and trust in Christ as a new creation. I'm on page four and I'm still on verse one, so please forgive me. In verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Yes, it is true that John has been insisting the key to Christian identity is love, but the road to love, he says, is paved by faith. What we believe. Everyone who believes. Now again, you may be count yourself lucky. This is not another sermon on love, but one on faith. Christian faith begins with the object of our faith. Namely, John says, Jesus Christ. He who believes that Jesus is the Christ, it's very specific, it's not a belief in whoever or whatever, but belief in a person, the Son. A person who is born again demonstrates that by saying and believing in his heart, in her heart that Jesus Christ alone, the one who was without sin, that Jesus Christ alone who lived a perfect life, that Jesus died on the cross on Calvary in my stead as substitution for my sins, bearing my guilt, my shame, bearing the wrath of God for the sins that my, de that my sins deserved. This is God's amazing grace. That God, as Paul writes in Ephesians, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ for by grace you have been saved through faith and Paul says and this is not your own doing it is a gift of God John, the same writer of the gospel as he is of this particular letter, 1 John. Lots of uh, very similar language between these two books. How do we know this is the same author as the one who wrote the gospel of John? Listen to how eerily similar these verses are to what we read this morning. In John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Similar in 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, this is he who came by water and blood, 
Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Now, these verses are challenging, I think, to comprehend. What is clear, however, however is that the Holy Spirit has testified uh, concerning Jesus that his testimony is trustworthy. Uh, again, let me try to explain this as best as I can. Again, there are so many different views. I thought I'd just highlight three for you this morning. Some, some take the sacramental view, not sacramento, sacramental. Uh, we're talking about baptism and, and the table. The sacramental view of the water and the blood as foreshadowing of the sacraments. The water of baptism and the blood as the foreshadowing of the Eucharist or the Lord's table or communion that we take each week. John Calvin, the great reformer, took the water and the blood to symbolize Christ's fulfillment of the ancient rites of the law. The water representing ritual cleansing and the blood signifying the animal sacrifices. But perhaps if we can this morning, look at the water and the blood as the two events in the incarnational ministry of Jesus. When he came to earth at age 30, again, he was baptized in water by John the Baptist himself in the Jordan River where the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And as the Spirit descended on him, the Father from heaven cried out in a loud voice, This is my Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I love. And then the blood representing the crucifixion at which, uh, according to the, the Gospel of John, Jesus obtained all power and authority through, the, through his glorification at uh, the, uh, the, uh, the hill of Golgotha. Uh, the place where he died. And again, these are the bookends of the ministry of Jesus on earth. And that's why in John chapter 3, he says, the water and the spirit. And by 1 John chapter 5, he says, the water and the spirit and also the blood. All testify and say the same thing. It's the ministry of Jesus. It's the baptism of Jesus at his inauguration of his ministry. And it's the, uh, the cross and the crucifixion where he would die and breathe his last breath. This testimony. So why this testimony? He says, this is how you can be sure. Here is your assurance. If the previous section in verses 1 through 5 spoke of personal faith in Jesus, the Son of God, this next section in verses 6 through 12, as a one commentator writes, he says, has the effect of shifting attention from the experience of faith to the true and the true and character of what faith affirms, it's that there's faith's proper object, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith. My friends, not dependent on the subjectivity of my earnestness or the subjectivity of my tenacity or my perseverance. It is not the subjectivity of my zeal in which I pursue my faith or my love for God, or my adherence to his commandments, or the measure of how well I love my neighbor. But the good news is that the, it's the object of our faith that reminds us and gives us great hope and great assurance. Going back to the three tests of whether we know we are followers of Jesus or not, whether we are a Christian or not, we said was theological and moral and social. But before we get too far, there is a difference in asking ourselves, how do you know you're a Christian versus how do you become a Christian? These are two separate things. 
God does not anywhere in Scripture tell us to clean up our life and then He will save us. These are not things that uh, is, are, are written in 1 John as a way to earn our salvation, but three indicators that indeed God has saved us. These signs are not instructions on how to be saved, but evidence or a fruit of, how, of uh, why we believe we are. For you see, any notion of salvation by works or that we can rest in our works rather than in Christ would be inconsistent with what the Scriptures tell us. First John is written in order that we might have confidence. It is not meant to make us doubt. It is not meant to make us uh, uh, confused in our theology or in our relationship with God. It's meant to make us discerning and through discernment to have confidence, to have an assurance that we are indeed children of God. A lot. So let me ask again. What is John talking about? We talked about at the very beginning, there's these three tests. Theological and moral and social. And I have often said, uh, we have said as we were going, have, have been going through this book, that uh, these are the tests of whether we know whether we are true believers or not. But again, as I mentioned before as well, that if this is the test, certainly we uh, fail miserably. Well, here's what John is saying. One of the marks of a true Christian, John is saying, is that the law is now written on our hearts. Before we became a Christian, it was uh, not possible not to sin. Double negative. Not possible not to sin. But one who's become a child of God has now been brought into a new relationship. We're not perfect yet. We're not. We sin every day in thought, word, and deed. But there's a new desire in our hearts now to keep God's law. And His law is not burdensome as John writes. It's not burdensome anymore. For you see, it is not a law that threatens. It is not a law that condemns. It's a law that challenges. It's a law that motivates. Do you see what John is saying? You want victory? Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your attainments, your achievements. Don't look to your past record. Don't look to your membership at Grace Sacramento. Don't look to the place of the city in which you live. John says, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who has accomplished it perfectly in our place. My friends, this is good news. This is good news. That God chose us. That it gives us the Holy Spirit to regenerate us and to breathe new life into us. So that we can make a profession of faith. That we can confess our sins. This is the good news. That what we could not do on our own that Jesus Christ does in our place.